All right, Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read verses 31 through 33. This is on page 818 if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles from the back. Jesus is speaking here. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. And remember as we read, we're reading God's word. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. That's God's word. You may be seated. We find ourselves here today in the the third week of four weeks of looking at these uh, pictures of the kingdom, these stories that Jesus Christ told to illustrate what life was like in the kingdom of God. And honestly, the last few weeks, if you've been here the last few weeks, it's been heavy, hasn't it? It's been serious. It's been intense. We started the series just the week after Easter looking at the parable of the soils, the idea that the word of God is spread freely, graciously, generously by God, and it lands on soil. It lands on different kinds of hearts, and in some hearts, the seed just bounces right off and never really makes much impact. In other hearts, it sort of springs up, and either because of the cares of this world or because it didn't have roots and experiences pain and suffering, whatever the reason is, it might, might seem like it's going to take off, but, but nothing really happens. And only in some cases, only in few cases, Jesus says, one out of four in his particular parable, does the word of God, the good news of the gospel, take root and bear fruit. It's a serious thing to kind of go, okay, just because you can have a response to God doesn't mean you actually are trusting him in a way that's going to bear fruit. And then this past week, we looked at the parable of the weeds, the wheat and the weeds, the idea that, that uh, the, the world is like a field, and growing in this, in this field are wheat, uh, people who are trusting in Christ, people who are believers, and weeds, people who are not in Christ. N- notice, it wasn't the good people and the bad people, because that, then we'd all just be weeds, right? It, right the, the, it's not like, you know, Christians are in the white hat, and everyone else is in the black hat. No, we're all in the black hat. Jesus is in the white hat. He's the only good guy in the story. But by his grace, uh, God has given us his word. He's given us the ability to trust him. And so in the world are people who are in the kingdom and people who aren't. Now, we don't know exactly in this life is what that parable said. Those, those things grow up together. And as Josh pointed out last week, uh, th- those things often look similar until they finally bear fruit, right? You can't always tell a weed from, from the actual plant right away. But in the end, God will sort it out. And we talked about the judgment of God, that the judgment of God is coming, that he will sort that stuff out. It's been, it's been intense. It's been serious. Right? These haven't been sort of light, fluffy, bubblegummy kind of messages. They've caused you to think. They've caused you to examine. They've caused you to, to take some inventory. And, and, and maybe you go, gosh, I just don't know if I... I don't know if I like this very much. Maybe the thing you love about church is when you come and it's so welcoming and the hospitality's great and there's snacks and the kids are running around and it's fun and the music's upbeat and you just sort of leave and you go, oh, I just, I feel good. Maybe you're just one of these people that just, you like it positive and encouraging, right? So K-Love is your channel, (laughs) right? Because every 10 seconds they remind you positive and encouraging 
K-love, as if the point of life was to be positive and encouraging. And some of you are like, it is the point of life. That's why I post positive and encouraging things on Facebook. And I try to be as positive and encouraging as I can because, right? And, and if that's been you, then you're like, I don't think I like this very much these last few weeks. I don't know what I think about Jesus very much these last few weeks because Jesus doesn't seem very positive and encouraging. He'd been real straightforward up uh, you know, before this and said, hey, here's, here's what I'm doing. I came to seek and save the lost. He's been uh, raising the dead. He's been casting out demons. He's been feeding people. He's been doing miracles. And a bunch of people said, we don't, we're not interested. We don't like you. So he sort of goes into this parable thing, and he starts to explain, here's why so many people respond so difficultly is because there are few who will be saved. The road is broad that leads to destruction, and many find it. The road is narrow that leads to life, and few find it, Jesus tells us. And he illustrates that in these parables. And it's not real positive or encouraging. But here's the thing you got to understand. Jesus didn't come to make you feel better. He came to make your heart better. Right? My, my oldest daughter, Abby, um, was sick this past week and had a fever and then got a real bad ear infection, and her ear really hurt. Like, I've never seen her in that much pain from an ear infection. And, and sure enough, you guys who are parents, you all know this. What time do kids like really feel like they need to go to the doctor? Right after the doctor's office closes, right? So that's when it really starts to hurt. And so we, the other night, went to urgent care, and, and she was in a lot of pain, and, and the doctor gave her some stuff that would help with the pain, but also gave her some stuff that would help with the infection. And on the way home, I told her, I said, because all she cared about at that point was, I just want to feel better. This just hurts. And I said, honey, here's the good news, is this medicine is not just going to help you feel better, it's going to make you better. Be- because when you're in pain, you just want the symptoms to go away. But, but Jesus is not interested in just making you feel better. Jesus is interested in, in being a doctor to your heart, getting to the root of the sickness and dealing with it. So he's not afraid to tell us, hey, listen, this isn't always comfortable. This isn't always the way you like it, but it's really important. Well, in the midst of that backdrop of all the seriousness and the intensity and the not many people will be saved, it might lead people, it might have led his listeners and his disciples to start going, well, Jesus, if this is the case that, that, that there's going to be this judgment coming and so many people reject you, is there any hope here? Do we have some hope? And so Jesus inserts here in the midst of all these parables some hopeful parables. And so these ones are not as intense, and they're very hopeful. And so essentially, we, we read it a minute ago. It's, it's very brief. It's two, uh, two particular stories um, that Jesus tells, one about a mustard seed and one about leaven. Leaven is like yeast. It's the thing that makes bread rise, and it adds flavor, and a lot of different things that it does. And he says, hey, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a little tiny mustard seed that just seems small, it seems insignificant, but eventually it grows to be this big bush, almost like a tree, to the point where birds can come and nest in it. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that, that gets worked in a, a bunch of flour. And even though there's just a little bit of yeast, it spreads and it spreads and it spreads until eventually it fills up all the flour. And this lady who, who uh, is going to has these three measures of flour, it says in verse 33. She's going to feed about 100 people, 100 loaves of bread she's going to be able to make with this. That's the story Jesus tells. Now, it's interesting here. He doesn't give us an application. There's not a command here. There's not a, here's what it's like, so go do this. He just says, here's what the kingdom of God is like. 
And it's interesting, isn't it, throughout this, Jesus never exactly defines it. What's the kingdom of God, Jesus? Let me tell you a story. It's kind of like a guy that goes and sows a bunch of stuff in a field. Yeah, but, what's, but define it. Well, it's kind of like a field, and there's wheat, and there's weeds. Oh, come on, Jesus, like, tell me what it is. It's kind of like a lady baking a loaf of bread. Right? It's a little bit frustrating, right? He's not super direct. Why? Well, we've seen up to this point. It's because he's giving light to those who already have it, and he's concealing it from those who have already rejected him. And these little clues give us some, some insights, some stories, some metaphors, some pictures of, of what this is all about. And all of it has to do with the kingdom of God. So here's what we're going to do for the time that we have together, is we're going to look from this passage at the nature of the kingdom, the growth of the kingdom, and the blessing of the kingdom. The nature of the kingdom, the growth of the kingdom, the blessing of the kingdom. The first thing is uh, the nature of the kingdom. Now, this is something we could have mentioned in the last few weeks, but, but we didn't, and, and now's a good time to, to mention it, is that when Jesus is talking in all these parables, all of them have to do with the kingdom. The kingdom, what is it? The kingdom of heaven. What's the nature of this kingdom? Well, that word kingdom gives us a clue, right? And, and through all of this, this language, one of the things we piece together through all these stories is that Jesus is talking about God's salvation. Jesus is talking about the way God saves people, the way God works, the way that God is undoing all the effects of the fall. Because we know that God created all things good. He created man in his image. And man in his willful disobedience said, no, I don't want you, God. So I want to I serve and worship created things rather than the creator. That was the fall of humanity into sin. And so now we sin by nature and we sin by choice. We sin because we're sinners and we sin because we want to. And the kingdom of God is, is shorthand for, for God's salvation in the world. God undoing all the effects of that. And, and if you just think for a minute about the word kingdom, it's instructive. The nature of of the kingdom. The first thing that that word kingdom tells you is that it's not about you. It's about God. Right? God's salvation, God's kingdom is not about you. It's about God. Right? When you think about a kingdom, if someone said, man, there is this amazing kingdom. You got to see it. Would you think of the peasants or would you think of the king? You'd think of the king. Right? The idea that it's a kingdom points to the fact that there's a king. God's salvation ultimately is about God. This is about God's work in the world. It's interesting, in all of these parables, it's a person sowing. It's a person needing. It, it's doing all these things. And it's always coming from outside. Right, The, the, the mustard seed doesn't plant itself. It's planted. Right? And the kingdom is planted by the king. This is not about us. This is about the king. The second thing that this idea of kingdom tells us is that not only is it about God, but it's about the world. It's not just about you, it's about God. It's not just about you, it's about the world. This is a kingdom, this is a massive thing. This is not God's uh, plan of salvation just for individual people, but this is how God is working globally. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and so God is working to make salvation uh, real for people all over the world. This is a global reality. It's a kingdom. The nature of the kingdom is that it points to the king, and it points to the fact that it's happening all over the world. Now, does it happen for us individually? Yeah. 
right? Even the parables up to this point have seemed to focus on kind of the individual nature, the soil of an individual's heart. So there's for sure an individual aspect of it. But this is so much also about what God is doing, big picture. It's the nature of the kingdom. Second thing, and this is probably what the parables focus on the most, is the growth of the kingdom. The growth of the kingdom. This parable tells us four things about how the kingdom grows. The first one is this. The kingdom grows from small beginnings. Look at verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. It's the smallest of all seeds. Now, this does not mean that Jesus thought that the smallest seed in the entire universe was a mustard seed. We know that just from botany that that's not true. But the, but the smallest seed that someone in these days in that part of the world would plant was a mustard seed. So Jesus is saying that this is a thing of a small beginning. Right? We see the same thing in verse 33 in the parable of the leaven. The, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And if you've ever made bread, you don't put a bunch of yeast in, you just put a little bit. And it works in and it slowly develops, but it starts with small beginnings. And the kingdom of God, God's plan for salvation, for the world, for his glory, starts with small beginnings. Think about it. We celebrate it every December. The kingdom of God in a manger, right? A barn. Probably more like a cave than like a nice, you know, shelter. A, a, a stable, a manger to teenage parents with, with animals around and shepherds. Nobody cares about shepherds, right? And then they. Jesus grows up, and he grows up in Galilee, which is this no-name place north of Jerusalem. And not just in Galilee, like the region, but in the, the, the town of Nazareth. Right? The town of Nazareth is, is so insignificant, not just insignificant, but like, ugh, that, that when people hear he's from Nazareth, someone even says, can anything good from, come from Nazareth? Right? It's like Yuma. Right? It's like, right? like, if someone tells you, hey, I'm from Yuma, you're like, I'm sorry. Like, bummer, you know, right? Like, their, their high school mascots, the criminals. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, right? I mean, it's just, it's this no-name place. It's like, right? It's not impressive, right? And, and then Jesus, who, who's a carpenter, ordinary guy, right? He's not like part of this elite training process for all the future priests. He's just a carpenter. And he calls around him 12 disciples, and there are a bunch of knuckleheads, right? They're fishermen, and some are tax collectors, which means they've made their whole life ripping people off. And, and, and it's just kind of this regular group of guys, right? It's 12 of them, right? If I came to you and said, I said, all right, here's what we got to do. We have to create um, something that is going to go worldwide. And you get no internet, and you have no marketing uh, budget, and there's no TV, and you got to do it with, a, with 12 uneducated people. Ready? Go. You'd say, uh, no, thank you. And that's how the kingdom of God began. Right? Even after Jesus has, has died and rose again, do you know how many people are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come so that they can surge out into the, into the city and, and start making a difference for God? Do you know how many people? About 120. 
right? Fewer than are in this room right now. And do you know how many people celebrated Easter this year in 2014? More than two billion. It starts from small beginnings. It starts pretty unimpressive. Right, I always kind of imagine, it, whenever I read Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, where Jesus says, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded, I'm with you. Right, and I, it's this real rah, rah moment, and I sort of imagine it, and he's standing around about 12 guys, right? And it's like, therefore go, 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 <laughs> into all the world, world, world. And they're like looking around like, Jesus, seriously, it's just us. Like, really? Like, how's this going to work? Are you kidding? To the world? I've never been outside of Israel. What? The kingdom of God starts with small beginnings. Now, this is not what the people of Israel were prepared for. This is not what they thought was going to happen. They thought that the Messiah was going to come as this king figure who was going to overthrow the Roman occupation, was going to usher in this new reality. And Jesus is that kind of glorious, majestic, powerful king. And he is. And he'll come back and he will do that very thing. But the kingdom of God begins with small beginnings. Small. It seems insignificant. A lot of people even today go, well, I, you know, Christianity, that's just for weak people. It's just a crutch for people who life didn't go real well. Yeah. And at some point, you're going to be weak. And at some point, my hope is that the hero of your life will be a crucified peasant from Galilee who conquered Satan's sin and death when he rose from the grave and who has launched a worldwide movement because the kingdom of God starts small. That's how it grows. It grows from small beginnings. It also grows imperceptibly. It grows imperceptibly. You, you can't always see the growth, right? I mean, think about how a tree grows, uh, how a plant grows, right? Some of you, you farm or you garden or you do that sort of thing, right? And if you were to kind of plant the seed and, and someone were to be there when you planted it and then they were to come back a month or two later, they would go, wow, right? That's incredible. But you don't necessarily see the, the, the change right away, right? I was out of town for a, a week or so and I drove by uh, all the, the plants out here, and I went, oh, wow, I was gone. They're taller. But when I drive by day after day after day after day, the, I don't notice any difference. I don't notice any change, right? The person making the, the bread, knitting, kneading the, the flour, doesn't know that the, wow, now it's all filled. It just, it doesn't happen like that in these big jumps. It happens small. It happens steady. It happens imperceptibly. This is what spiritual growth is like, and this is often, I think, just for me personally, maybe for you, this is why it can be real discouraging. A lot of times you're kind of looking and you're going, have I grown? Like if I came to you and said, hey, do you think you've grown spiritually in the last month? Some of you would decisively go, no. Others of you would go, yeah, I really think I have. Most of us would go, ah, hopefully? I don't know. And it can be discouraging, right? You read these stories about these great people and you get so discouraged because you just feel so ordinary. And the kingdom grows imperceptibly. See, you, you don't necessarily see it right now. You don't see it day after day or week after week or month after month. But if I said, hey, between this time last year and now, have you grown closer to the Lord? Is more of your life submitted to him as king? You'd go, yeah. Well, how'd that happen? I don't know. But it grows that way. Right? It's this power of, of a small change with a compound effect. 
that just happens over and over and over. That's what it is. It's, it's, not a, it's not a massive change. It's just a little bit of a change. This is what I was trying to get uh, across when I was coaching baseball a couple months ago with Tony. Uh, we were, my, my buddy, we were uh, trying to help the kids see, listen, just get a little bit better every day, and by the end of the season, you'll be really a lot better. But you don't have to get a lot better today. Just get a little better today. Right? And so here's an example of what that might look like. If, just to show you the, the power of a little thing over a long period of time and, the, and the, the impact that makes. So if you were to take a plane from L.A. to New York City and you were to just sort of rotate the plane one degree, just one degree south, right? by the time you hit Las Vegas, you wouldn't really notice much difference. It would be, just look like it's right on track. By the time you got to the East Coast, do you know where that plane would land? Delaware, right? It's just a little, it's just one degree. It's just one imperceptible thing. You can't even notice it. It's so small, but, but over a long period of time compounded, it's a huge deal. And that's how the kingdom of God grows, right? It, it, it's the idea, think about if you had a mustard seed, you know, and, and you, you tried to like clash a mustard seed and a sidewalk, right? You had a sidewalk right here, and you took a little mustard seed. Some of you have seen this. You have these in your kitchen, and you dropped it off the sidewalk. What would happen? right? Nothing, right? Is the mustard seed going to crack the sidewalk? No. What if you threw it really hard? No, right? But a, but a mustard plant underneath a sidewalk growing could have this incredible power to maybe even crack or distort the sidewalk, right? Because these, right, some of you have had this in your home with these, these tree roots and things that, that have like uplifted an entire sidewalk. You know, how did that happen? It happened through, through a power of small, incremental, incremental, imperceptible changes. And that's how the kingdom grows. So, so be encouraged by that. If you look at your life and you go, I still know if I'm growing very much. Okay. Can you look back and see how God's grown? Because the kingdom of God grows in your life and in this world, often in ways you can't see. But it always grows. So here's the third thing we see about how the kingdom of God grows, is it grows inevitably. Right, this tree starts as a seed, but it becomes a tree. Right, the, the, it, the flower starts with a little bit, it's going to become bread. It grows inevitably. This will happen. God will grow it. God will grow his kingdom. Right, and so as Jesus is talking to these disciples, and he's saying, listen, there are a lot of people who are going to hear this, and it's going to bounce right off of them, and they're not part of the kingdom. And in the end, when the judgment comes, they're going to be revealed that they were weeds, not wheat. Well, Jesus, who can be saved? Well, listen, guys. The, king, the kingdom of heaven is a small little seed, but it's going to grow. This is going to happen. God will finish what he started. One of the most encouraging verses in Scripture to me is Philippians 1.6, that God promises that he will finish what he starts. He will bring to completion the good work that has begun in us. The kingdom of God grows inevitably. And finally, the kingdom of God grows pervasively. Pervasively. It's, 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 it's got magnitude. It's got significance. It fills this entire thing, right? This seed becomes what, what people would say in, in that part of the world. A, a mustard plant can grow to be 10, 12 feet tall. Right? It's, it's more of a bush, really, but it can become so big that it becomes like a tree. Right? It's this big thing, big enough that birds can nest in it. Right? The, the, the bread, right? there's a little bit of leaven in it, but by the end it fills the whole thing. Right? It's pervasive. In the kingdom of God, this is how it works in our lives. It begins small, 
And it grows and it grows and it grows. And this love of God and this passion for him and for his word, this desire to obey him, this desire to trust him, this desire to, to, to cast aside the weights and the sins that easily entangle you and instead to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, that desire grows and grows and grows. It's this expulsive power of a new affection is what a Puritan called it. He said that's how you fight sin. You don't fight sin by saying stop it. You fight sin by giving something even better to your heart, which is Jesus. And that, it, that desire for Christ grows and grows and grows and it fills more of you. It's pervasive. It's how the kingdom of God works. And again, that's slow you don't often notice it, but it's inevitable, and it happens, and it fills your life. And that kind of a thing fills a church. That kind of thing spills over into the world as God begins to make disciples who make disciples, who are all part of this thing of God's kingdom. This is how it works. Well, that leads to tremendous blessing, right? If, if that's what happens, if God's word is alive in you that way, if God's salvation fills you like that, it's a huge blessing, not just to you, but to those around you. And so here's the third thing we see about the kingdom is the blessing of the kingdom. Where does all this lead? The blessing of the kingdom. Look at verse 32. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. What's the result of this? Is that it is a blessing to the birds, right? That's in the story, right? There's this, the birds find a home here. They find shade here. They find protection here. They go, this is a place where we can raise our young. This is a, this is a safe place. This is a, a, a healthy place, right? What does bread do, right? Once this yeast goes all throughout the bread, it becomes delicious, Becomes the kind of bread you, you would, right? And she's making probably a hundred loaves. It's going to be this huge blessing for her and for her family and for her friends and her community, right? That's what the kingdom of God leads to. It leads to that kind of blessing. That's how it works. And when the kingdom of God, listen, when the kingdom of God is alive in you, it leads you to be a blessing elsewhere. That's what Jesus says happens with the kingdom of God. And this is how things work. We're, we're blessed to be a blessing. That, that's how it's always worked, right? The, the person of Abraham in Genesis 12, Abraham is, God calls him, he says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to do great things with you. I'm going to make your name great, but it's not so that you're famous. It's so that you will be a blessing. That's how God works. And in the end, our lives become shade and nests and home. They become flavorful bread. Have you ever had unleavened bread? If you've ever had communion here, then the answer is yes. That's unleavened bread. That's what it is. It's matzah. We, it's you know, the kind of thing that, that Jews even today celebrate through Passover. They would use this matzah bread. That's what we use. It tastes like a cracker to us, but it's bread. I grew up uh, in a community where I, a lot of my friends in high school were Jewish, and, and some of them would, you know, during uh, Passover and other things like that, uh, they would have to, all they could eat would be matzah crackers. Right, we'd be in the cafeteria pounding Domino's pizza. And they'd be looking at us like, I hate you, right? Because, why? Because it's, a, a cracker's fine, right? It's got a little salt on it. You're like, oh, this you know, gets me ready for lunch, you know? But, but if you had to eat the whole, right, if you had to eat a whole piece of it, 
if you'd eat a whole piece of it a lot, right? I mean, this is not what, no one goes to a deli and is like, make me a sandwich on matzah. Because it's not as good. It doesn't taste as good. And so the blessing of the kingdom is that it feeds people. It makes a home for them. It's an incredible picture. I love this picture. And this is what we are as the people of God. We're blessed to be a blessing. I think one of the most practical and I think appropriate examples on a day like this, on Mother's Day, is how many of you in our congregation and how many people across Redemption and across other churches in this city have been engaged in the foster care and adoption crisis. Right, there's this huge crisis in Arizona where tons of kids, thousands and thousands of kids are in foster homes, not enough home, in the foster system, not enough homes to care for them. And so many of you, so many Christians have said, you know what, I've been adopted by a God who welcomed me when I was an outsider. I'm going to move in this. I'm going to move toward this. And so hundreds of people from within redemption have gone to orientations and have gone to basic trainings. Some of you have begun to actually open your home and receive children in. Some of you, we had a, a family in the first hour, they dedicated a, a child that they had fostered that now they've adopted. Right? It's, it's blessed to be a blessing. Right? And, and what I love about this is Jesus doesn't say, you've been blessed, so get out there and be a blessing. There's no command here. What Jesus says is, the kingdom of God always leads to blessing. That's where it goes. It's a statement of fact. It's inevitable. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to try hard. You have to just remember, oh, this is what God is doing in me, and it leads you to love. It leads you to serve. It leads you to pour yourself out for others. Why? Why does it do that? Why? Why is Jesus so confident that the kingdom of God has this inevitable growth to it, this inevitable blessing? Why? Well, the answer is because at the heart of the kingdom of God is a message of love. It's a message of God's love moving toward us while we were still sinners. And that is a message that breaks down our pride, right? Because, listen, if love is the center of Christianity, death is the center of love. Right? How do we understand love? We, we know God's love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means if we're going to move toward people in love, it's always going to involve a kind of death for us. A death to our comfort, a death toward our money, a death for our time, a death for our dreams. And that part is costly, and that part hurts. But because of how Christ has died for us, the people of God just inevitably go, I'm going to move toward people in love, and yes, it will cost me. But that kind of love, that kind of sacrifice is so attractive, and it's so winsome. And sure, there will be people who go, I don't want anything to do with it. But there will also be people who find nests in our shade. Not because of us, but because of a king. Because of a king who's building a kingdom with small, little, ordinary people like us that do ordinary stuff. We go shopping, and we go to work, and we drive our kids to soccer, and we make dinner, and we clean the house, and we mow the grass, and we do all kinds of ordinary stuff. And through it, we're loving people, we're trusting God, we're filled with gratitude, and the kingdom grows. That's how it works. Father, thank you that you grow the kingdom this way. Thank you that you um, increase your lordship in our lives um, as we trust you and as we see that you are good and that you love us. God, thank you for that. 
God, I pray that this would be an encouraging time for those who often wonder if uh, their ordinary life is making much of a difference. God, I pray that they would see that it does. And God, I, I pray that uh, your kingdom would continue to grow in our hearts in such a way that we would yield more and more of ourselves to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.